a podcast for those who suffer, which is everyone. It's a space where we can speak honestly about what it feels like to be in desolate places without losing hope. Welcome to In the Thicket. Hey guys, hello. Hello. Hey, how's it going? Hey, um, it's going good. We are, so this is, we're doing like a little intro thing here. We're, we're doing something very special for Lent. Mm-hmm. Um, euthanasia series, <laughs> which just like a podcast on suffering, it's crazy that we're excited to be doing a series on euthanasia, but here we are. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> um, I guess this is just, you know, God just given us this awesome and strange charism to be talking about these, these kinds mm-hmm. of things. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think we, you know, we have a, a number of guests lined up over Lent. And so, so our different to our normal episodes where we have kind of standalone different topics, these are going to be connected along the subject line of euthanasia. And we're hoping that as people listen, you know, you guys are going to get more informed as you listen. You're also going to be moved by the stories you hear. So Aaron, why don't you share with everybody listening kind of our trajectory over the Lenten euthanasia series. Yeah. So um, today you're going to hear from uh, Garnet Jenis, who is an MP from Alberta, and he's been kind of instrumental in the Canadian fight um, for uh, for looking at euthanasia and kind of preventing, uh, I guess, a free-for-all in terms of access to euthanasia or looking at conscience rights and, and things like that. So that'll be really, um, yeah, we're looking forward to having you hear that. And we're also going to be hearing from a doctor who's been active in palliative care and working with the elderly, his experience of, of that, of, you know, death and pain and suffering and, um, you know, his own conscience rights and, and what that looks like. We're also going to hear from a chaplain who's involved in hospital ministry. So about his experience of walking with people who are profoundly suffering or, or dying and, and what that's been like. We're also going to hear from um, someone who is a disability advocate who uh, has a disability herself and, and uh, who is advocating for, um, for safeguards for those who are disabled. And we're also going to hear from um, a few other kind of voices, not directly in episodes, but that we'll post for you in other ways on the website and on mm-hmm. social media um, from other voices in the church or a filmmaker, um, a lawyer, mm-hmm. um, or another doctor. So it kind of watch, watch for some of those things too. And hopefully that'll, that'll kind of round out the series. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, this came to us, I shared this in a story on Instagram, but this came to us really, we think from the Lord in prayer and discernment. Yeah. Um, just before Lent, as we were thinking about what we were called mm-hmm. to be doing. So, and, and since it, since we've decided to do this, it's just lit a fire, at least in me, it's just been just the importance of it has kind of come down yeah. in my mind as, as so clear. Um, so I'm really excited about it. Um, so yeah, what, I just want to know if, you know, to get your, your thoughts, you guys, of why the series is important to you. Maybe Nicole, you can, you can start like, why are you excited or what's important to you about the series sure. that we're doing? Yeah, I mean, there's a there's a lot of different angles, I think, that are converging for me to feel like this is exactly what we need to do for this month. But um, even it was funny. So Monday we had met. Um, so like six days ago for uh, for our weekly podcast meeting. And that morning when I was praying, I had just um, what had come to me in prayer was just this just remembering like, oh, we've got this this bill that's about to or that's in the process of of going through the steps in the Canadian Parliament. And um, that will expand what is allowed with uh, assisted dying in Canada with euthanasia. Um, and I was just praying about that and feeling like, Lord, I feel so powerless. Like, I don't, I don't know what to do. Like I've 
I think I've signed the petition against it, but I don't know what else to do, you know? And then, and it kind of came up in a conversation uh, this evening of like, Hey, we could that, you know, that evening of, of doing something on the podcast. So it just felt very like there's a connection there too, but yeah, even just, um, you know, I'm, I'm a music therapist and I've done a lot of work. Um, I've done a little bit of work in palliative care and a lot of work in, in just long-term care with seniors and have just seen how loneliness affects people so deeply. Um, you know, and I had, I often bring up my mom uh, when I'm on this, uh, on the podcast, but she, you know, she was sick a number of years ago. And I remember, I remember her going through this illness where she was in terrible, terrible pain for, for a number of years and, um, and having moments where she was just like, you know, telling God, Hey, if you want to take me to heaven, like I would be totally fine with that. And just like, you know, um, knowing that there are so many people who are, are in these positions of, of terrible suffering, but they don't have the same maybe hope that my mom was able to access or the same community of love where we, we were just there with her. And so who are, who are wanting to die, you know, and who need love and who need compassion. So just like, yeah, so much loneliness and pain and people who just need community and need love. Um, And then we have this law that instead of, of maybe providing more care and more palliative care and support for people who are in these kinds of situations is saying, well, you know what, we can just, they can just die, you know, and how, how sad that is and wanting to do something about that. So, um, so yeah, it gets Mm -hmm. me all fired up. I even, you know, I remember writing a paper in undergrad in a Christian ethics course, and we were challenged to say, okay, you know, it's, it's great to, to look at the sort of ethical and, um, you know, technical arguments for certain Christian principles and, 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 you know, morals and the moral stance that we take, like to look at the ethical arguments for that, but also it's not just about ethical arguments. It's a call to action and we're going to change the culture through our actions. And so um, I'm really passionate about, about that. And, and, you know, we're, we have a call to action on our website and, and ideas of what people can do. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think there's, there's so much we can do that that doesn't take actually a whole lot of crazy effort. Um, and so uh, mm-hmm. I'm just, yeah, that's what I'm excited about is just in hopefully that, you know, as you listen to this, that you'll be inspired of just doing some small things to, um, to build up this yeah. culture of, of support and community. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah. I think, um, yeah, for me, it makes me think about the experience that I had with endometriosis. So uh, sorry if you're squeamish, just in case you don't know what endometriosis is. It is where um, uterine lining grows. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> uterine lining grows outside of the uterus in generally the abdominal cavity and can, you know, adhere to things and it's, uh, it can be incredibly painful. And so, but it's also very hard to diagnose and you can't get an official diagnosis unless you have surgery for it. And most often they won't actually do surgery. They'll just kind of try and prescribe you birth control pills. And, you know, like all of these kind of stop gaps that are not actually treating mm-hmm. it, but are just covering this thing that's happening. Um, and so for me, it was a long time that it took to get a diagnosis of that almost mm-hmm. 10 years. Um, mm-hmm. And I probably suffered with it for much longer than that. But the last two years of that time, I was in pain every day like every moment of every day. So it was the first thing that I encountered when I woke up in the morning was pain. It was the last thing that happened at the end of the day before I fell asleep was like realizing that I had pain when I was praying. It was like my thought, like I would be thinking about my pain and then trying to pray and think about and pain, you know, and it was like, it pervaded every aspect of my life. 
And I remember thinking about that in that time, um, that like feeling very hopeless on a number of occasions and thinking like, I cannot live the rest of my life like this. Like I can't, I can't do it. This is too hard and feeling so hopeless and thinking about dying, like, Mm -hmm. and not being suicidal, but like Mm -hmm. longing for an end to suffering Mm -hmm. basically. And I remember specifically thinking in those times, like I can understand why people would ask for euthanasia. Mm -hmm. I can understand why people would see it as really the only choice because, because no, because the other choice is dealing with your pain and futility. Um, Mm -hmm. And so for me, like, it also pointed out the lack of access that a lot of people have, like that I was having to adequate medical treatment that would treat the pain that I was experiencing. And I've even found that with fibromyalgia, that it's been severely deficient in terms of being able to access medical treatment for pain. Um, Mm -hmm. And let alone palliative care, which is only probably available to about 10% of the, of the population, you know? So if somebody is in that much pain, like, so that for me is, is also a a huge motivator of um, having us think about pain and suffering and end of life topics in a way that's like nuanced and not just like, oh, euthanasia is awful. And yes, it is awful, but we need to also understand deeply the pain and the suffering that people are experiencing when they're asking for it or the fear that they might be having. So that's also a hope. And I think that that compassion can be exactly what you're talking about, Nicole, a springboard into actually doing something like fulfilling the corporal acts of mercy, which we are asked to do as Catholics. That is not something that's optional. Yeah. Yeah. Which is why it's such a appropriate topic, I think for Lent, because this, you know, Mm -hmm. it encompasses all of those realities that we're called to engage with as Catholics. We have to go out there and be Jesus for the people, for people who are suffering, you know, for each other who Mm -hmm. are suffering. Um, And in some of our conversations we've already recorded, we've kind of alluded to this, that, that it, it doesn't, you don't have to go very far. You can, you can look within your own circle of friends and family to find those who are, who are struggling and maybe struggling alone, Mm -hmm. you know, and that that's a huge, that makes a difference to notice those people and to be there for them. It it can, Mm -hmm. it can, it can make the difference, especially in a Canadian context where euthanasia is unfortunately legal, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And that for me, so to add kind of a different dimension to what's kind of motivating us, I guess, as a team on this is the reality that there is a law right now in our Canadian context in parliament that is expanding access to euthanasia in devastating ways, um, mm-hmm. especially from a Catholic perspective, uh, but but honestly, from a lot of different perspectives, not just a Catholic perspective. Yeah. Um, yeah. And we talk about some of those in our, in our series as well. Um, and so this is Bill C-7 that I'm talking about. So it's very current and topical. And um, in addition to the culture change that we're going to have to get into that cultural battle more and more as the years go on. We have, we do have a political and legal reality right now that we can stand up to whether or not our stand will be successful and we should stand up to it. And so that, so this series is hopefully going to our hope anyways, is that people will do something in both of those um, fields with Mm -hmm. a sense of urgency because there is an urgent need right now for an actual window of time here yeah yeah exactly Mm -hmm. it's always been an area for me as well of of like it's been a um, subject of passion for me in a sense because of pro-life work that I've done kind of all through my student life into adulthood um but 
recently, I think a week ago, actually, just before our conversation, again, I heard Cardinal Collins mm-hmm. give a homily. So his Sunday mass last Sunday from the day we're recording, he gave a homily, which I think we're going to try and, and link to somewhere. Yeah. Um, where he just kind of mentioned some of the things you guys, Aaron and Nicole, like have been talking about in terms of reaching out to family and friends and, and in the context of Bill C7. And he spoke so eloquently as he always does. So it kind of got lit the fire again in me. And in addition to that, I, uh, a few months ago, I think was listening to a CBC radio program that uh, was about euthanasia. And I think they were interviewing assessors, people who, who go in to, to see if patients meet the requirements um, the legal requirements needed to qualify for euthanasia. And uh, I remember a doctor gave testimony, I think on that program, and she was saying, um, you know, I, uh, she was treating a patient. She said, normally people think of it as a sad situation, but in this one situation, she was treating someone and they were super excited and all their family was really excited about this process. She walked into the patient's room on the morning that she was going to administer the drugs, the euthanasia drugs. And the, the woman was sitting up and had her hair done and like lipstick on and all these things. And her family was around her and, you know, and then she wanted to recite this poem before they administered the drugs. And she recited this poem. And at the end of it, because not all of her family approved at the end of it, she was like, to all of you who disagree with me and didn't approve, like F you and F off. And, and then everybody sort of cheered and then they administered the drugs to her and she died. And, and the doctor was like, and it was so beautiful, you know, and I don't know. I mean, obviously each of us has a subjective response to that story, but when I heard that story, I just was so deeply like, I don't know how to explain, like disturbed, saddened, just grieved. Mm. Like I was shocked. I think that's the word. Like I was just shocked Mm. because it was such a twist around of what beauty actually is. And I I could hear Mm. in the story, like the good intentions of the doctor, of the family members that were there, even the woman who, Mm -hmm. you know, was seeking this treatment. But, and, but I was just like dying inside, honestly, listening to the description of this scene as, as beautiful. And I was thinking, oh my goodness, like, Lord, how, what is happening? How do we, this is, this is in a way, and I'm, you know, without demonizing anybody in that situation, but this is in a way how evil works. I think where, where we see something that is truly harmful and damaging to us and we welcome it as good and beautiful, you know? And we can't tell like the, the difference. Yeah, mm-hmm. like the demons, the devil appearing as an angel of light, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that that's precisely what's happening here in a very real way. Um, you were kind of talking about this, yeah. that this is, there's something just, like, this is just evil here, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, because we don't, but it's it's masqueraded as, as compassion and as something good because we've lost touch with what it means to to suffer well or to alleviate suffering that it's actually possible to have good palliative care that treats suffering and Mm -hmm. and to make that you know all these different things anyways yeah we're going to talk about that in our episodes yeah talk about all of it it. yeah and one of the things we also want to highlight and you mentioned it Erin is like conscience rights of doctors and that's Mm -hmm. another battlefront that right now is still urgent and happening and so yeah doctors nurses yeah um, yeah. exactly all health chaplains everyone working in in healthcare Mm -hmm. yeah Yep. That's right. And we want good people in those positions yeah. and good people are going to have to leave because yep. their license is going to be on the line. So this is, mm-hmm. and this is like, even just from a selfish perspective, right? Like we're all going to get older. We want good people. I want to care of care. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. We right. don't want those doctors to leave. So please 
um, look into these issues as you hear about them from us and from other places, get informed and get involved um, and enjoy this conversation. Our first conversation is going to be with um, MP Garnet Jenis, as Aaron mentioned, and he's fantastic. And it's just going to give you a primer, especially for Canadians. But even if you're not Canadian, we mentioned this in a few of our episodes, we, this is, this should be like, look to us as I think Garnet says, this is an example of what not, where not to go and, yeah. and get informed because it's, it's not just in our country, it's, it's happening globally in different yeah. areas as well. So, um, yeah, please listen and, and, and get involved however you yeah. can. And check out the website. We'll have all of the, in the thicket podcast.com, all of the information is there about how you can get involved both politically and, and also just in terms of corporal acts of mercy. Yeah. And also that this is like, it's it's striking me here, you know, we felt so called to have this conversation um, and, and, you know, to to have the series and everything um, and to that, that's, that's a sign of hope. Like the Lord is leading, the Lord is doing something. This is not, I think that's one of the, the big things that we can feel sometimes as Catholics is, oh, like there's nothing we can do. And like the, the kind of despair, but that's not true. You mm-hmm. know, we've seen, we saw, you know, you think about, um, I always remember the movie Amazing Grace, uh, mm-hmm. where they're, you know, in, in, and striking down laws uh, that were, um, you know, starting to, to, to strike down laws, um, to get rid of slavery in in mm-hmm. England mm-hmm. and that happened you know yeah. and so just thinking about that the lord the lord is powerful and knows what he's doing and just we just have to discern what are we called to do and so that's i think a big thing is like we're all called to do something about this because this is this is an evil yeah. and it's happening and it's happening now so what are we called to do and to have hope in that yeah amen amen yeah. okay you guys enjoy enjoy we hope you enjoy the series and just get as involved as you can. God bless. Okay, hello everybody. Um, we are so excited to bring you this special episode of In the Thicket with an amazing guest, uh, Mr. Garnet Jenis, who is an MP for Sherwood Park, Fort Saskatchewan, Alberta. Welcome, Garnet. Thank you. So great to be with you today. Thank you. We, um, yes, yeah, so we're doing this series on euthanasia over Lent, and um, we wanted to talk to you because you have been very involved in what's going on right now in Parliament with Bill C-7, and even before that with the development of legislation and euthanasia and just knowledgeable about that kind of stuff. So before we get into it, I just want people, if they don't know who you are, especially maybe our non-Canadian listeners, um, maybe share a little bit about who you are, how you got involved in politics. Sure. Well, uh, well, thank you for that opportunity. So I, I've uh, I've been interested in politics my uh, my whole life. Uh, people sometimes ask me how did how did you get into politics? Why did you choose politics? And I quote that line from uh, Troy, where where he where he says, "I chose nothing. I was born, and this is what I am." So, <laughs> um, so, uh, but I mean, there, there's more to the story than that. My uh, my grandmother was a Holocaust survivor. Uh, her her father was Jewish and and she was sort of hiding uh, in Germany during the Second World War and um, that as well as sort of other aspects of my upbringing really informed by an awareness of how important politics is I mean how how badly things can get if uh, in terms of politics and 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 on the other hand the important of importance of uh, politicians like Winston Churchill uh, who who perceived uh, issues and dangers and were speaking up about them so. Um, so, so you know, it, it wasn't that my family was all that political in a sort of capital P sense of dragging us out to campaigns, and um, you know, we weren't the like door knocking, sign sign nailing in uh, people. But um, but politics was a constant topic of conversation, in part because uh, 
because we felt, uh, at least on my mother's side, that we we owed our lives to it, right? Like that mm. that if um, that that our lives had been uh, our, our our family history had been profoundly shaped by by these events, and uh, so so a big part of my uh, political activity since getting elected in 2015 has been working on international human rights issues. Um, we've been doing a big push around uh, addressing the the horrific treatment of Uyghur Muslims in China right now, uh, the genocide that's going on, um, and uh, you know various other human rights issues around the world impacting Christians as well as uh, as well as other communities. So uh, that's where, where some of my passions are. Um, you know, I would say the the whole range of of uh, human life, human dignity uh, issues, uh, both here in Canada, around the world, uh, have have been uh, a passion of mine since getting elected, and uh, a lot of uh, a lot of uh, failures, some successes, uh, and uh, keep on going. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that sounds like um, sort of a, a motto for if you're getting going to get into that kind of work, just be ready for you know, lots of stumbling blocks and lots of failures, but just to keep, have that perseverance to keep going because the battle is so important, you know? Um, yeah. So speaking yeah, of I, battle. I just, just, I, and I, I referenced Churchill earlier. He, he yeah. said once uh, success is going from failure to failure without loss of enthusiasm. So, right. <laughs> so here we are. That's very encouraging actually for Lent too. So if you're, if you're listening and you're struggling with your Lenten practice, whatever that might be, you know, don't give up. That's the, <laughs> that's yeah. the key. Just don't give up. Um, yeah. So we're talking about this, the current, so one of the current battles about upholding the dignity of human life in um, the the topic of euthanasia. Mm-hmm. And um, just to give some of our listeners a bit of background, uh, obviously, if you're not Canadian, you may not be familiar at all with this, but in 2015, we had uh, kind of a watershed case uh, called Carter versus Canada. And in that case, the Supreme Court struck down criminal code provisions that prohibited physician-assisted suicide, saying that they were unconstitutional based on a section of our charter that talks about upholding the right to life, liberty, and security of the person. Um, so all they did was stri- strike down those uh, those criminal code provisions, and then they left it up to parliament to come up with some legislation around this. Um, and that's how we ended up with what we currently have, which is called medical assistance, which which they term medical assistance in dying, or MAID, M-A-I-D, sorry, for short. Um, so. Garnet, can you tell us that happened right when you sort of got involved yeah. in in, legis- in legislating and and the action on Parliament? So can you kind of give us a bit of background of, of the development of this and and where we are today? Yeah, so uh, you know, go th- go through the story as as briefly as possible. That uh, prior to the 2015 election, uh, there was a court ruling, and uh, I'm not sure if this is similar to the way they do it in other parts of the world. But sometimes when they have these 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 major legislation changing court rulings, uh, they sort of suspend the application of them for a period of time. So they said. Uh, the government has to bring in some legislation legalizing some form of euthanasia assisted suicide, but we're going to suspend the application of the ruling for a year. Uh, and that was close enough to an election at the time we had a conservative government, but uh, the decision was made, you know, for better or worse that, uh, uh, that, that we would tackle it uh, post-election. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, that was the election in which uh, our party lost, um, but I got elected, uh, right. and it was it was sort of a, a weird time to come in as a new member because uh, you know a lot of members of our of our conservative caucus are feeling a little bit uh, 
uh, down, disappointed about the results of the election, and um, and also maybe just a little bit pessimistic about the things we could accomplish in opposition. So when looking at an issue like euthanasia, they said, well, we're not the government, so what we can do, uh, what can we do? And, um, you know, some of us as new members, um, you know, we're just really excited to be there, right? right. And we're like, well... I don't know, we could make some noise or something, right? Like we yeah. were just, we had this, this uh, um, on the other side of, of the pessimism, this kind of outsized uh, optimism combined with a uh, complete lack of understanding of, of how things work. Right, right. Um, so it was, it was sort of a crazy time to be engaging such a critical issue because I know there were a few of us who were, uh, who were new members who were, you know, sort of uh, trying to find the washrooms and figure out how to table <laughs> amendments to legislation at the same time right like there was there there wasn't uh, normally the advice you get when you come in as a new member of parliament is to is to sit and watch and listen for about six mm. to eight months so you can figure out uh how how things are done uh, but you know for better or worse that was just not an option when when you 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 get this kind of legislation so um yeah the the, the government sort of undertook a series of moves um which ended up making a already fairly extreme bill look fairly moderate. So they had this this uh, special committee study the issue, uh, which kind of took the parameters of the court ruling uh, and and then pushed them way to the end with this very sort of extreme, extreme report. And uh, I mean, our, our own conservative caucus is somewhat divided on, on the issue. You know, there's there's a, a range of opinion there. So it, it's kind of hard to present a unified opposition to what the government is doing when there's diversity of opinion within our own uh, within our own caucus. Mm-hmm. Um, so you had this special committee uh, draft, I think, a, a very extreme report. Um, you know, calling for what would have been by far the most uh, open-ended, uh, lacking in safeguards, uh, euthanasia model in the world. Uh, and then you had the government propose a legislation that kind of took a few steps back from that, um, that that attracted criticism from from both the left and the right of it, if you like, that now the goalposts had been shifted. And what's amazing to me for this this debate is that the goalposts just just uh, you know, you get whiplash from how how fast they're shifting, right? Yeah. Where, um, you know, you had uh, arguments in the Carter case saying, you know, okay, we got to have this this narrow thing where, in specific cases of people that have considered it for a long time and repeatedly asked, and um, you know, are near death and all these, and and um, yeah. you know, and, and it just keeps. Uh, it, it just keeps moving. And, and so this new legislation, it responds to the fact that, I mean, our current justice minister uh, at the time was not in cabinet at the time of the first legislation. And he was actually someone who voted against the euthanasia legislation, not because he thought it wasn't, not because he thought it went too far, but because he thought it didn't go far enough. Got and okay. um, and then uh, they had, there was a lower court ruling which struck down some of the provisions of their new euthanasia law. And uh, normally when you have a lower court ruling on a substantive public policy issue, you would at least appeal it to the Supreme Court. Uh, But they, but they chose not to appeal it to the Supreme Court. And then they said, Oh, look, we've got a court ruling. We got to deal with it. Well, you know, come on. Like it's, it's, um, you know, and, and, and it's also interesting to say how like our political debate, um, it, it takes a court ruling very often, uh, and then it kind of uses that as a jumping off point uh, to to go to all kinds of further extremes and says, "Well, you know, the the, the courts made us do it, right?" Right. Um, <laughs> right. And 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 so the legislation we're dealing with now, 
uh, it implements a court ruling around um, around the specific issue of of what they call advanced consent. So somebody who is concerned that they may be their condition may deteriorate in a certain period of time, uh, and they say, you know, I would I would like to request now to receive uh, euthanasia on July the first, right? Right. And if at the time the person objects, then then they stop. But essentially, they allow to administer euthanasia at that time. It it, it so it, um, I mean, it raises big concerns about consent. I mean, we don't have advanced consent in any any other contexts. I can't um, I can't my my consent to do something uh, two months from now uh, is is not sufficient in I think any other legal context. And and uh, I don't even sort of on autonomy grounds. I don't I don't think it makes sense to say that you know, my present self should be, be able to make a decision for my future self. Uh, but anyways, in any event, that was the issue that was dealt with in the court ruling. But then with this legislation, the government did a, a number of other things. Mm-hmm. Um, they, so this was, was a, like a real kicker for me, right? So, so the initial draft legislation that was proposed the last time around had a 14 day uh, reflection period. So after right. somebody, you know, and, and, and uh, this was whittled down to 10 days at committee and we were, we didn't, we, we thought the 14 was better than 10. Uh, but, so, but, but now this legislation proposed to eliminate that completely, which means right. there's, there's no reflection period at all. And, and, and the uh, reflection period yeah. is just basically like you were saying, someone can choose that they want euthanasia administered to them. And then they, the, the law prior to bill C7 mandates that they wait 10 days before they actually yeah. have the administration of the the drugs yeah. that, that euthanize yeah. them. But now the bill saying we're going to get rid of that. Exactly. And I would say already in the current law, uh, that 10 day reflection period can be waived. So it, so it sets right. a kind of default, like, um, it, you know, so, and it also reduces the number of, of uh, independent witnesses that are required. It changes before you had to have two independent witnesses. Uh, now, uh, it's it's down to um, down to one and and like independent witnesses can be staff or you know, like if they they're not it's not actually the same requirement of, of independence. Um, so I like I I'm just like there's there's two separate issues here when we talk about the, the contours of a euthanasia law. There's a question of um, eligibility criteria and there's a question of safeguards. And, and I think we should we should understand that they're they're distinct issues. So uh, eligibility criteria is who can get it right. Um, the the original law. Uh, said you had death had to be reasonably foreseeable, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and I, you know, I think the fact that anybody thinks death is not reasonably foreseeable to them is maybe a sort of weird product of our uh, our, right. our culture. Like, like death is reasonably foreseeable uh, for all of us, right? right, uh, right. Um, from from ashes we we come, and and right. to ashes we shall return. Uh, but, um, um, you know, like that that at least implied some sense that not quite terminal but a person had to be approaching death like there was uh, some immediacy about yeah. there's some immediacy in that yeah. language like you poor, have... poor, poorly defined but implied right sure. yeah so so that that is now being removed so they, they've created separate tracks for for people for whom it is and is not reasonably foreseeable but 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 now uh they've they've uh they've changed it so uh, it, the, the, the new legislation removes that requirement as well. So it's no longer medical assistance in dying. It's now, I mean, so call it medical assistance in dying, but it's, but it's more like, you know, death on demand, you, you know, you can, you can, right. you can die anytime uh, you want. And, um, 
So, so, but that's the question of eligibility criteria. Who can get it right now? Right. Now, almost anybody. And there's people that are pushing to allow children to access it, uh, to allow people with mental conditions to access it. And uh, um, so that's that's sort of one one category of issues, the eligibility criteria. The, the other category is a safeguard. So even, you know, even if you think that that anybody should be able to request and receive euthanasia, you, you would maybe you, you would also think that there should be mechanisms to ensure that a person has actually consented, a person actually wants it, a person is, you know, um, but that, but that, um, but we're we're we've severely weakened uh, the the safeguard. So now the the way if this legislation passes, the way it will work in Canada is, you know, you only need two doctors, um, no reflection period. It could be any two doctors. One, it doesn't have to be your your attending physician. Uh, okay. There's no requirement for uh, for sort of clear records or video of consent or uh, you know one independent witness. So. Um, you know, so so if somebody's having a very bad day, right, and they make a request, and uh, that person, you know, gets the sign off of a of, a, of another doctor, uh, you know, there's no requirement that the other doctor who signs off even examines the patient. So they, wow. you know, they 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 call a friend of theirs in another city who who you know hears about the conditions and signs off as well, um, and uh, and then they you know, they, they bring in a nurse to, to, to witness it. And, and like, that's it, right? Like that's yeah. the, that, that, the, those, those steps would satisfy the, 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 the legal requirements. So, so what if that person didn't get that? What if the person didn't, didn't want, uh, want euthanasia? Uh, there's a case under the current law where, uh, where there was a, a, a facility that didn't allow euthanasia and, and a doctor snuck in, uh, killed someone and they're, they're only, basis for claiming that the person consented to euthanasia in this case was their own notes. Like, uh, this is wow. so rampant for abuse. And I just plead yeah. with people, like, even if you, even if you agree with euthanasia in principle, and even if you think eligibility should be fairly open, think about the safeguards, think about the fact that people will die who don't want to die. Uh, if we don't have a little bit of double checking going on here. Yeah. I think people, I mean, you're right to kind of highlight those two issues, the eligibility and the, you know, and the safeguards piece, because obviously as Catholics, we, we don't want any of it. Like we, we don't want anyone to be, you know, hastening their death in this way or, or, or any doctors to be participating in, in killing people or any of this. But given that we are here with this law, we, you know, this bill C7 especially is, is, really getting rid of safeguards that are protecting people who, who also don't want to want a part in this, but may be coerced or maybe, um, you know, uh, maybe unjustly killed, like, well, just, well, all of it, maybe, but just maybe killed without wanting any, any part of it. And that this is affecting, you know, I know there's a lot of, um, societies and organizations for people with disabilities who are advocates for, for people with disabilities who are speaking up against this, who have very different political opinions. Otherwise, you know, from let's say Catholics or, uh, a, a more conservative view or anything like this, but who are, who are worried about this legislation. So you spoke a bit about the rampant abuse that could come out of this. How, how would that impact, let's say these kinds of communities, people with disabilities or our elderly, um, how might they be impacted by by this these changes? Yeah, no, that's a that's a great point. Um, you know, I, I think uh, one of the things on the parliamentary side, that if you compare the experience of the first bill to this bill, um, you know, those of us who are, are are engaged with this are know what we're doing to a little bit of a greater extent now, and we were able to um, just uh, identify those allies and and bring them to testify before committee. I think uh, much more effectively, and. Uh, mm -hmm. And and I think, you know, the 
we probably lost the public debate on the first go around. Um, but we've, I think, very clearly won the public debate here where public opinion polls show that although uh, most Canadians are supportive of, of euthanasia, um, they're concerned about uh, the nature and provisions of, of uh, the latest bill. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the concerns from, from people in the disabled community are that um, that we are already seeing a situation where people are offered and pressured euthanasia as a result of their disability who don't want it, yeah. right? So, so if you're a, um, you know, able-bodied uh, fit person who, who shows up with a particular health complaint, um, you know, then, then the focus is on helping you get better. Uh, but if you're a person with a disability, uh, unfortunately, what we heard from many witnesses is that there's a, there's a great risk that your interaction with the healthcare system will be, um, will be sort of characterized by, oh, do you really want this treatment? Like, uh, you know, made is available, like these, these kinds of your life's not worth living type of, and so, so we, we, we look at this and say like, like, this is a, a serious issue of, of, uh, of injustice and inequality when some people are, uh, are offered like, and for people with suicidal thoughts, some, some people are offered suicide prevention for other people. It's like, oh, you want to die? Well, well, uh, here's, here's the process. Right. Right. Um, and that generally, you know, it's, it's those who, who have a lot of quote unquote privilege and, uh, you know, are, are, are able-bodied who are, who are more likely to be offered that suicide prevention track as opposed to the suicide promotion track. So, so this is, you know, this whole concept was advanced in the name of autonomy. Uh, but it does show how, um, how it's, it doesn't. It ends up being about something other than autonomy, which is the valuation of of different people's lives and experiences. And we heard testimony from. I mean, there's a, a guy named Roger Foley who uh, who um, I think it was an accident. He he had some some point of like he was able bodied and then at some point of 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 uh, onset of of dramatic disability. I, th- I think it was a, a car accident or something. Um, and uh, he was sort of repeatedly pressured and and told like. Uh, that to 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 consider euthanasia. Uh, There's another case of a mom and her daughter. Uh, the daughter was was offered euthanasia. It was offered to the mom, and they said no, they didn't want it. And they were sort of told they were being selfish. Like people are being engaged wow. in conversations about uh, limited resources and all this. And and you know, um, it's 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 really shocking. And uh, so so we have again. I mean, I I, I appreciate your point about. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of people I'm sure who are who are listening to this who who say we shouldn't even go down that that road at all. Um, part of part of being in politics, I guess, is that you you look at a, um, you know, you 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 try to kind of make things a little better based on what seems politically possible in the context of the the, the parliament and the opinion environment, right? So, yeah. um, so 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 we put forward some, I think reasonable amendments that were that were were just trying to address this phenomenon so one of them was like you can't you can't raise the subject of euthanasia with a patient unless they bring it up so so yeah. you're you're safe in a healthcare environment that seeks to affirm your your health and life up until the point when you say actually i'm interested in in going this route and right. um i mean i think there's i, I don't think that you know is the the fullness of the issue but it would at least uh, pr- prevent people from this kind of um harassment really that makes yeah. them feel unsafe and unvalued in healthcare environments. Um, and, and unfortunately that was, um, that amendment was rejected. 
so. I think that's so crazy. I don't even understand on like why. I, I don't understand why that couldn't have been a uniting sort of concept because yeah. so that's, that's very different. It's very difficult to, to hear that and think like, you know, just <laughs> trying to kind of rein in my doomsday thoughts, you know, because it's just so it's just so upsetting to know that this attitude of death as treatment of death as um, a solution, essentially, like that's, that's really what euthanasia is, is like death is the solution to the pains of living, like, you know, the reality of life. And instead of obviously other solutions that will help people to cope with the pains and realities of life, um, whatever they might be for each person. So it's just so upsetting to know that, that as a, as a culture, as a system, you know, in our, in our politics and in our, in our medical sort of system, we are heading, heading towards this preference for death as one of, and an equal option to other options for treatment, you know? Um, yeah. So like the, it's interesting these debates, because I, I think a lot of the proponents of it, they frame this in terms of autonomy and choice, right? And they come right. from this kind of uh, extreme manifestation of a classic liberal worldview, which is uh, like you, you are the creators uh, of your own concept of happiness and goodness. And, you know, if, um, if, if, uh, if I want to believe that, um, that all, all life is valuable, then I can behave in my own sphere right. in that way. And if somebody else wants to believe that uh, death is a legitimate response to suffering, then they can. And that's freedom. And that's, you know, uh, let us let us all sort of create our own conceptions of, of happiness. Right. I, I think the the problem with that reasoning, I mean, even if you accept the, the sort of um, the 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 presumptions that are entailed in that way of thinking uh, in practice, what this has led to is a uh, is a different view of disabled people by the healthcare system, where some people, where, you know, what's what's the standard of care when someone comes in uh, with certain uh, with with a certain presentation, right? And, um, and and the fact that people will be treated and viewed differently depending on whether they're elderly, whether they're disabled, and and that's so that's that's not uh, an issue of autonomy. That's an issue of how culture changes a person's experience of of health. Um, I, I gave a speech in the House of Commons, and this is sort of an analogy I, I used for this. So it's um, you know if you know in in the classic liberal way of thinking, okay, more more choice is better. So if you go to a restaurant and they offer you a chicken sandwich, a ham sandwich, a, you know, and a, a vegetarian option, like, you know, you're probably, you're better off the more options you have, right? So you, if you sure. don't like the menu, if they make the menu longer, that's better for you. So, so more choice, more options, great, right? But on the other hand, if you went into a, uh, a restaurant and they offered you like a human flesh sandwich, right? Like we catered to cannibals and like, if that item was on the menu, you would probably feel very uncomfortable being yeah. there. <laughs> yes. Even if, <laughs> even if you weren't planning on ordering it, right? right. Like no, nobody would go in, I mean, in that sort of weird hypothetical situation, but nobody would go into that restaurant and say, well, uh, cannibalism isn't my thing, so I'll just have the chicken, right? right. Um, the, the, the nature of the environment, like, like you would, you would wonder, like, like, am I going to be on, on the menu afterwards? Right. Like what's, <laughs> yeah. what's, what's like, um, yeah. and, and so like you, you, you can't change what a hospital is without, um, you know, especially in a way that 
impact some people differently from others without without changing the environment. But the other issue, you know, to be to, to push back on the sort of rhetoric used around autonomy is that this is being coupled with an aggressive attack on conscience protection, on the yes. right of individuals and institutions to uh, to practice medicine in a way that's um, that's uh, reflective of their own values. So you would hope in that case of the the mother and the daughter, the daughter has a, a um, is being sort of offered pressure towards euthanasia, mm-hmm. that she would be able to um, at least find a, a healthcare facility in the area, uh, where she's safe. Right. So, you know, you yeah. have, you have at least, at least if you want autonomy, you know, you have some measure of choice. So, you, you know, uh, I can, I can, uh, live my last days in the, in the, uh, no euthanasia here healthcare facility, knowing that, uh, that, um, that I, that, that, that just won't be a part of the conversation. Right. Um, uh, but, the same people that are championing autonomy to die whenever you want, however you want, with as little waiting as possible, uh, those people say you can't have these uh, safe spaces uh, for, for people that are interested in that because those would violate their autonomy if they change their mind. Like it's it's um, it's a bizarre conception of autonomy that uh, that that actually doesn't doesn't allow the creation of of spaces where elderly and disabled people would. Uh, would feel safe so it's a a lot of sort of contradictions in in the in the heart of this argument and uh i don't know if it's people who have just not thought through some of these things or if there's something else going on but it's uh um you know anyways we 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 do our best and i i uh invite and encourage your um your listeners to get involved as well. There's so many great ways to get involved in the political process. And there's relatively small number of people that are politically active in Canada. And there's, and there's yeah. so many ways to do that. And, uh, and, and we need all the reinforcements we can get. So speaking of that, what, where do you recommend people go? Like what, what actions, let's say someone really, someone's out there listening to this, who has no interest or zero involvement in politics before now, but they, May hopefully hearing our conversation are realizing this is a very crucial thing to get involved in, um, no matter you know what your past has been in, in you know in terms of getting getting engaged. So how would that kind of person what what should they do? Where should they go? Yeah, so um, you know a, a first step is you can go to the website we've created no same day death dot com pardon dot ca. So no same day death.ca sign the petition there and a petition there is a way of, of expressing your concerns about the euthanasia bill, but also it's a way of um, getting in contact because mm-hmm. we, we will, we've been sending follow-up emails to those who have signed that petition with specific action items, uh, encouraging people at, at different times in the legislative process to be contacting members of the justice committee, contacting, um, contacting, contacting members of the Senate and so forth. So, uh, so these are, are some of the actions that, that, uh, that, that can be taken. Uh, a lot of people are, are busy with their lives and they may not follow all the mechanics of, of how this stuff works. But if you're, if you're on my email list, I can make sure that, you know, you know, call this person at this critical point in time and it will be, it will be helpful. Um, you know, beyond that, I would I would encourage people to reach out and and try to establish a relationship with your your local member of parliament, even if they're not part of the party you've you voted for in the past. Um, you know, it's one thing to send a letter, but it's another thing to say, "Hey, I this is an issue I care a lot about. I wonder if I could meet you for fifteen minutes and and share with you my my reflections on it." Um, 
and uh, you know, if 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 you like that person, if you like what they have to say, you know, you can get get involved in their uh, in their campaign. I mean, uh, don't don't do that if they're if they're doing things that are contrary to your values. But if but if you align with them, um, you know, look for look for other ways to get involved and support them. Um, you know, you can you can find contacts uh, quite easily for other political associations in your in your riding. So every 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 riding, every constituency in Canada will have a uh, a riding association or, or EDA. They're called for every every political party. So uh, if your uh, if your response to your concerns from your sitting member of parliament is very negative, then you can engage with the with a riding association of a different party to try to um, get involved over there and. Um, you know, the Canadian politics is, you know, very open. I mean, in our, in our party, we have uh, a national convention coming up, but it's too late for this one. But there'll be there'll be future ones where uh, anybody can become a member of a, of, a, of a party, $15 to get a membership. Uh, and then you can participate in electing delegates or running to be a delegate to represent your riding association at that convention. Uh, and then that convention determines uh, the policies that the, the Conservative Party will, right. will adopt going forward. So there's, there's lots of these avenues to engage and and, uh, you know, I'm like, like, I don't come from a, a political family, right? I'm, I'm one of those many people that, uh, that grew up maybe with an interest that, that had a, a passion for a particular issue or set of issues. Um, and, uh, and just sort of plugged in and learned as I went. And, uh, if, if I can do it, uh, you can do it. Anyone can do it as well. Um, and I guess I guess the other, the other thing is a lot of Christians' perception of politics is that it's a it's a dirty game, right? Like right. That, that you have to you have to compromise yourself in all kinds of ways. And um, I think you know there there is there is some challenge to figuring out. So we've been talking about euthanasia, something that um, you know many listeners may be uncomfortable with completely, but then figuring out how to at least minimize the the damage of it mm-hmm, through safeguards mm-hmm. and other protections. And that's uh, yes, that, that that is part of it. I mean, in terms of um, being being wise as serpents, right? Uh, mm-hmm. uh, thinking thinking strategically, um, but but you you should not, and you don't have to compromise on fundamental uh, moral moral points to be in politics. I mean, I, um, I I don't think I've compromised on anything fundamental since I've since I've been elected, and you know uh, there are um, there are are great communities of people working in politics who you will find who um who share your values and uh and care about the issues you care about so um yeah so it doesn't 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 matter uh where you come from doesn't matter how long you've been in the country doesn't matter what you what you know have known up until now uh there are there it is it is so possible uh, to get involved in politics, I, I think it's it's demonstrated. And I'll just kind of close on this one. It's demonstrated by the fact that we have many, many people in in Parliament who who were not born in this country. And I think that's a fairly unique feature for Canada, where uh, to to accumulate the connections and the money and the sort of privilege and status you need. Um, you know, in, in in some countries, politics is very generational, right? But here yeah. we've got many people who um, who grew up, had maybe even even lived for a long time, and had careers in other countries, came to Canada, and then. Uh, and then got elected. It just shows how accessible our politics is. Right. Yeah. And this conversation shows how important it is for people um, to get involved, who have, who have a sense of hope and and, and value life, and you know, um, can can work to at least 
I don't know, voice, voice those values in that, in that uh, sphere and, and do some practical things around them. Like, like you're talking about with the safeguards. Unfortunately, this is the conversation we're having because this is our law right now. We are in a, in a post legalized euthanasia society, but there, but this is, there's still things we can do. And we have to, I, I would just urge anyone listening, like do something, just do at least do one thing, you know, if, if, whether, if you're, if you're kind of set on fire in our, with our conversation about getting involved in politics, then get involved in a deeper way. Um, if you just want to do one thing, then go to no same day death.ca and sign the petition, you know, just do one thing. So, um, thanks Garnet. It's been such a, such a joy and, and privilege to talk to you about this. Um, we're really hoping our listeners are going to get galvanized and energized to, to engage with this issue. And if you're not Canadian, um, I don't know where you are in your political reality on this issue, but to just be aware that, that it's part of our global culture in certain countries, especially in our country, but in others as well. And, um, you know, to be on guard and, and to get involved with your community so that hope is always a part of, of the culture that you're creating in your, in your, um, in your life and in your community. So yeah, and I just maybe I, I to say for the the non Canadians, I mean, Canada's experience on this should be a cautionary tale. So, um, you know, if you're if you're looking at uh, debates in your own uh, country, your own jurisdictions around euthanasia, uh, take a look at what's happened in Canada and um, and how quickly it's it's changed and the impact it's had on on the safety that that people from certain communities feel in our healthcare uh, and uh, you know. Point to us as 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 on a road that that you should not be on. So so if if uh, if nothing else, hopefully we can be helpful that way. Yeah, so true. Okay, thank you, Garnet. Um, God bless everybody, and uh, we look forward to more episodes in this series on euthanasia to learn about the issue and also to hear from people who are being impacted uh, currently by it. Bye for now. Thank you for joining us for this episode of In the Thicket. If you like what you hear, give us a rating and hit that subscribe button. We have new episodes every Monday with more stories and honest conversations about life when the going gets rough and the hope and humor amidst it all. We'd love for you to join our community on Instagram and Facebook at In the Thicket Podcast. While you're there, let us know how we can pray for you. God bless and see you next week.